Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Six pounds, pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to our episode of Sheologians. We're here today to put the hair and tell her phone. <laughs> Telephone. Harvey. Tell her. It made so much sense in my head when I was like really. Nursing <laughs> when I was like really meditating over the last several days on having to use a telephone booth. Yeah. I was like, telephone, telephone, tele, telephone. Do you remember? Have you ever used a phone booth, speaking of? Yes. I feel like I haven't. I have. I remember our church had a phone booth. Well, it actually had like a line of payphones because we went to a mega church. Oh. Um, what? But, and then, yeah, um, Never considered. I mean, I didn't. Such a I thing. was little, so yeah, 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 yeah. But I do remember. I have memories of using like a phone card wow. with my mom, and then my dad, mm-hmm. which is so crazy to think about. He just like drives for work. That's right. You told does, me this. He like he designs pools and landscapes, so he like does bids. He's a salesman. Yeah, and. So that means that salesmen used to just like drive around and if they needed to make a call, they had to stop and use a payphone. They had to stop and get out of their car. And one time, actually, my dad was using, was he? I think he was using a payphone and my sister like saw him. They were both out independently. And so my sister, uh, he had like stopped at the payphone and just like left the keys in the car and the car running and stuff. And so my sister parked her car and got in his truck and like pretended to steal it <laughs> while my dad was using the payphone. That's funny. You know. Sisters. Daughters. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wonderful. Oh, they'll get you. <laughs> <laughs> Especially this one. <laughs> yeah. She's that one. Yep. Um yep. yeah, that was Love I her. was uh I was ready to like drop that one on you last week, but you were ready I know, I'm yours. sorry. I, so it just like, obviously yours worked better it's for like your the one time that we've both been prepared at the same time. And honestly, it might have fit better for my own story. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so excited. <laughs> oh, oh, I got a hilarious email. Oh, good. A hilarious email. Okay. Oh, I cried. Oh, man, let me please find this email because, well, first of all, I've gotten several emails that are people very nicely saying, hey, why don't you just get blackout curtains, you stupid idiot? Well, you do have them. Thank you. So what I want... Blackout curtains can't, like, they don't adhere to the wall. (laughs) You'd have to get, like, a blackout shade that fit, like, inside of your window. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that would... That would... You'd be yeah. getting into like customized window treatment which at that I'm point, just which is rather expensive doing. when you're renting. Yeah. So uh, to those of you who are like, hey, you could just get blackout curtains. I want you to understand that my neighbor 
My neighbor's light is so bright that through the blinds and the blackout curtains, I can still see the whites of my husband's eyeballs. <laughs> so thanks for the suggestion. <laughs> But it's not gonna for do sec- it. I don't. I'm sorry, but for a second I was like, while he's sleeping, <laughs> I can see through his eyelids. That's how bright this is. But then I was like, no, not while they're sleeping. While he's awake and she's well, awake. Well, okay. So the joke is, here's actually, actually, actually. So. One time when my husband and I were newly married, we were watching a movie and I thought he was awake because when I looked at him, he was like this. Oh, no. <laughs> his arms were crossed and his eyes were open. And I thought we were watching a movie and his eyes were open. And he slowly, with his arms crossed and his eyes open, kind of like rolled to the side. And the next thing I like, I look over at, we're newly married, all right? Yeah. <laughs> You're learning this about him. I look over and he's just staring at me, kind of. His eyes are kind of, he's just kind of like. And that's when I realized that the man was asleep with his eyes open. <laughs> and so I took a picture. I took my phone out. You're like, he won't believe. He won't believe me. I took my phone out and I took a picture. And then later when he woke up, I was like, I need you to know that you were asleep with your eyes open. And he was like, what? And I was like, look. And I showed him this picture. Because Do you remember me taking this picture? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. So the second part of the joke is that one of my husband's favorite things to do because he's a dad is to pretend to be asleep. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Obviously. Mm-hmm. But so how he does that with the kids is, you know, he closes his eyes and he like waits for them to walk by and then he's, Brah, you know, yeah. whatever. How he does it with me is he just folds his arms and stares at me. <laughs> and you're like, is he doing it again? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I nurse. I usually go nurse ransom between like sometime between 10 and 11. I go, uh, nurse him so he'll sleep through the night and when I come back in my husband's usually laying there like just arms crossed eyes wide open and that's the joke every night is that he's ha ha he's asleep (laughs) with his eyes open anyway so yes I could see the whites of his eyes while he's asleep is the moral of the story anyway the email this hilarious email from a snodgrass um, so she says, when I was eight months pregnant with my first baby, I suddenly had horrible heartburn. It would consistently wake me up. So my husband suggested Tums. I'd never taken any. So he went and bought me a big bottle of the jumbo size ones because he had to leave for a work trip. I don't take a lot of medication, but eventually the heartburn was so bad. I had no choice. So one night after waking up in extreme discomfort, I gave in. The, the Tums came to bed with me. And in my sleepy pregnancy brain fog state, I swallowed a jumbo tablet whole. A jumbo-sized Tums. <laughs> this was way more painful than suffering through nights of heartburn. I called my husband crying in the middle of the night. <laughs> and he was severely confused about why I swallowed it whole. I had to explain that because the commercials with the tablets show people putting them in glasses of water and dissolving. I assume that's just the effect they have on your stomach. <laughs> After a moment of dead silence, he says, no, Snodgrass, you're supposed to chew them. <laughs> We laugh about it now. This is obviously a very embarrassing moment for me. So if you're ever feeling discouraged about swallowing giant pills or think you're going to die, just remember there's a woman out there who swallowed a whole Jumbo Tom's tablet and lived. (laughs) Love you, Snodgrass. Um, 
And then she mentioned blackout curtains or just moving. <laughs> or <laughs> just two possible options. <laughs> I you know. can always take a tum and end it all. <laughs> that would end it all. I would I would be dead. I don't know how she survived that. Um, it not, probably not an started option. dissolving like halfway down. That's probably well, it. Did I tell you that I'm so dumb and now I know how to take my collagen now, the powder form? Oh, what are you doing? <sighs> I'm so dumb. I think I told you. Maybe I didn't. Whatever. My friend was like, why don't you just dissolve it in hot water, like a little bit of hot water and then put it in your iced coffee. It was like, yeah, I thought about that, too. I but... think about her every morning now and I'm stirring up my <laughs> I have my my little mason jar. I put the scoop in. I put yeah, the hot water like a in little slurry and then I put it in my coffee. And like I'm like, when you make gravy. I'm so dumb. I'm yeah. So, why did I that never would have occurred to me? And my husband has supplied me with a, a filtered water dispenser that uh, hot water immediately comes out of. Oh, yeah. So I have no That's Right, so that's so nice. I have no excuse. There you go. But here I am, just <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, well, you know, it happens. Hi, you guys can leave us a voicemail four seven zero four six five zero four seven five. We've been getting so many nice voicemails from all of you people that live in Louisiana. Yeah, y'all we are got a few messages. There's a lot too. of you. I have an out there. Matthew even got a message too. There's a lot of you out there. I'm excited. Just ready. You're ready. Um, Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still having a hard time talking about it. <laughs> Me too. Have I'll a like great have time. A thought. I'll just be driving down the road and all of a sudden I'll have a thought and then I'm like nope. crying. And then I'm like, oh. nope. That's okay. a, a May joy problem. Yep. <laughs> She'll be here soon. Don't know what we're going to do then, but... That's a month away. Also not my problem Do you today. know how slowly the months pass? Oh, <laughs> so slow. It's like time is crawling by. Not even worried. <laughs> May, that's a lifetime away. We have years left. Years. Here. If I just talk slow... <laughs> it won't come. Um... <laughs> So I told you I have a hot take. Yes, let's hear um, it. I'm ready. It's not a hot take. Oh. I just have a thought. And this is just how our conversations go. Like, is there a great time to insert this thought into our conversation and our show? Yes. No. Oh. But so you make one. Which <laughs> Yeah, which yes. is <laughs> when it's your show, yes. <laughs> um We're listed as a comedy podcast on Spotify. <sighs> So we didn't list ourselves as I that. I didn't list that. That they, was an award given to us. What they did was they listened to your laughter as you listened to the show. <laughs> and they were like, right. this is obviously Listen the comedy to tour. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you know what an incel is? Yeah. Okay. I do. So... I'm assuming most people who are listening know what an incel is. Mm. But just in case. We're weird. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's like a technical definition. Mm -hmm. Or it doesn't it stand for something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, was, um, I was about to pull it up for yeah. you. I don't know why I didn't I do actually that. know. I, I do. I remember. Uh, it's a... Uh, Involuntary. It's short for involuntarily celibate. Oh, yes, that's right. 
So it sort of describes, it's usually applied to someone. It's like a derogatory, like right. you're an incel because no one wants right. to be with you. Right. Is... And you're, you're, typically it's describing a man who cannot get a date. Yeah. And so his response to that is, well, there must be something wrong with all of you. Right. And here's the problem with women. Yeah. Um. So what's it called when um, a man pretending to be a woman mm. goes on social media and uh, calls everyone a transphobe for not wanting to be with them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we the- have a word for that yeah. other than maybe hero, which is I don't agree with. <laughs> Courageous, beautiful, strong. Do we see the comparison happening here? Yeah. No, Um. I, you and I have been talking about this. Maybe we'll talk about it more. But I truly believe that we are under a mass delusion, like our entire nation I believe one of the afflictions, one of the the judgments upon our nation has been mass delusion. Yep. And it it goes through everything. I mean, it, 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 from the top to the bottom, from everything. I mean, our food isn't food. Our women aren't women. Right. Um, our military is not a military. Um, but it, it's just, it's mass delusion. And I think that's... I, everywhere I look, it's what I can describe. Like all that you're missing, like man plus wanting to go on a date, blaming everyone but themselves equals incel. Mm-hmm. But man then you have a man pretending a woman, to be a woman. Right. That is what the, being transphobic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, the thing too, I think is a lot of it's like ha- online culture has a lot to do with influencing that kind of thinking because I think the average person in real life can spot what's wrong with this, but you get online. Even there are even people that, that are a part of all this madness Mm -hmm. that still say like people are allowed to have Mm -hmm. their preferences. And if they Mm -hmm. don't want to be with someone who you, who, who is one gender pretending to be another gender. I mean, that's not how they put it, but right. That you yeah. should, you should not be forced to love or be attracted to everyone. <laughs> there are people that that at least believe that. But my point mm-hmm. is, even then, no one's going as far mm-hmm. as to recognize that behavior for what it is. Mm-mm. And but- just so you know, the reason why we've mm-hmm. labeled them incels is because they're, it, it, they've kind of put themselves on the map as. Um, delusional, dangerous. Yeah. Uh, not viewing other people as as people. Yeah. Um, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not out here saying that everyone who is under the delusion that they're in the wrong gender is about to go out and commit violence. But what I'm what I'm saying is that someone who does that behavior minus the transition, we view as actually a dangerous person. Right. And they're like what they believe about the people who yeah are not attracted to them yeah is dangerous. Well, it's like pick pick your mental illness, right? So there are mental illnesses that were like actually this gives you virtue, and it's part of the the mass delusion and the twisting of our time, which is that 
if you follow the pattern of Romans 1, where does Romans 1 end? Where does the the giving over God goes straight to what is a result of being given over to your sin, homosexuality. And now we're living in a culture that is entirely given over to that mass delusion and that lie. And it makes sense that the incel, the guy who is quote unquote straight, the guy who desires the natural thing, which is to be with a woman obviously I'm not saying being an incel is good, but at least his desire as a man to be with a woman is normal, a normal natural desire that is wicked and gross. But if you're a man pretending to be a woman and you don't get the twisted unnatural desire, then we feel pity for you. Right. And I think that's part of the complete uh, given over that we're under. It's a mass delusion. Well, and yeah, yeah, I guess it's just, like having to do with the sort of the re- reputation of incels. I just think it's interesting that like, like men can be guilty mm-hmm. of um, murdering people, but women and trans people aren't. What do you mean? I just think it's interesting that like, that women can like have indiscriminate abortions and, and uh, they can engage in like men who the standard, the standard is this. It's so arbitrary that men can be perpetrators. They can engage in assault and predatory behavior, but women who engage in the same behavior and people who are experiencing gender Mm-hmm. dysphoria delusions um, can engage in similar behavior and not be guilty of the same thing. And that's when, you know, you just have, you have a whole culture looking to, I don't know, the internet influencers yeah. going, what's right. Tell mm-hmm. me what's right. And tell me what's wrong with yeah. no real standard of, because yeah. the truth is all of them are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Those, <laughs> someone it's out there is like hearing me say that men also shouldn't be, <laughs> Guilty of murder. No, That's not all of yeah. them. All the lists, all the parties I listed should be. You're talking about the social <laughs> reaction to the yes. sin is is to the social reaction is completely different. If a woman can be, if a woman does it, why can't I find the word? My brain just died. If a, <laughs> I'm like the truck in the last story. Um, if a woman does it, the social reaction is one thing. And if a man does it, it's completely different. Right. Yeah, no, it's and that's where incels came from. They're really angry men. Right. That tend to hurt women that don't give them what they want. Yeah. Which is wicked and evil. But anyway, yeah, um it's all wicked and evil. That's my point. That's is the it's mass all wicked delusion. and evil. Yeah. And um But you're not gonna call one wicked and evil because we're not supposed to respond to women or uh the trans community, if that's right. a phrase that way. Right. And yeah. you actually have like it's not just like like a it's not just taking it to like a neutral status like you said in terms of the um like the guilty incel versus the um the person that we have sympathy for Mm -hmm. that's like just trying to be their true self Mm -hmm. um and they're just frustrated so they are 
yeah. just expressing their frustration that people could be so yeah. close minded and not love them for who they yeah. are. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's the same thing. Do yeah. you not realize that that's the same thing? Yeah. I think, um, so this, again, maybe this is a whole topic for another day, but just really quickly, I think that uh, as Christians, one of the responsibilities we have in response to everything that you just brought up is to not live by lies. So if our uh, whole world is <laughs> under, if our culture especially, our culture especially, I believe, is under a mass delusion, we are we we believe lies. It's our just duty as Christians to be people that don't live by lies. And I mean, root those out in your life everywhere that you can. Yeah. And I mean, everywhere that you can. It, going back to what we were talking about last week, um, don't lie to yourself and say that you only eat 600 calories a day and you can't lose weight because right. that's not true. Yeah. And like... You know, even just a discipline that I'm trying to get in is like when I'm at the gym, it's like I'm not going to lie to myself and say like I can only do two more when I can do five more. Yeah. Like don't even just in the little areas of your life, um, don't tell yourself a lie. Don't create a false narrative in your day. Right. Like I just watched this video of somebody who was like, Hey, you know, next time you think about doing something nice for your kids, don't do it because they're going to ruin it. And if you take them on a walk, they're going to ruin your walk and they're going to, and it's like, so the story that she's telling herself is doing anything with my kids is horrible. Like you need to tell a different story. You need to tell the truth. You need to be telling yourself the truth and like whatever lies or things that you've made up in your head that aren't true. Like it's your duty to not live by them. Yeah. For me, a lot of it's just been um, just being legitimately busy and like running around on my feet all day. And then at the end of the day, you just want to crash, crash, which is, I mean, sometimes you need fine. to. Yeah. <laughs> That's totally fine. But I think, for me, a lot of it's been like before I say I'm done for the day, just be like, are you done? Yeah. Like, can you do something else? Yeah. Not that you have to. It's not it's not like this authoritarian, horrible, like, <laughs> sure, like you get up, maggot, like, you know, you can <laughs> do more. Um, That's not what it is. It's just an honest. Are you telling the truth? Right. Are you being like, oh, and if the answer is yes, I'm so tired, I can't. I just need to sit down on the couch yeah. and and read or something, whatever. Yeah. That's totally fine. But yeah. you, yeah, you'll surprise yourself when you hold yourself accountable. Yeah. When you're able to say like, eh, mm. wait a minute though, before you say that, make yeah. sure you're hey, being be- honest. Before this entire problem is actually your husband and not you. Oh uh, yeah. That one too. <laughs> <laughs> mm. That one before the entire ruining of the day was yeah. actually everyone but you. I know you already started retelling yourself the dramatized version of this story, but but is it entirely accurate? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, the mass delusion is everywhere. You can yep. leave us a voice. You'll just keep hearing us talk about that. Four seven zero four six five zero four seven five. Um, I use Rod and Staff as my homeschool curriculum. I do not care that there are minions. Just, oh. <laughs> um, I had someone email me and just bless the hearts 
with repentance. Uh, she was like, you know, I'm in this like reformed Facebook group. And they were like, oh, rotten stuff. Those Mennonites are our many hands run away. And I just want to say, I want to say to you, my dear reformed friend, many Arminians are people you're going to spend eternity with. I, well, there you go. We're going to apply that to the same, this same example. How offended are you actually? <laughs> yeah. Are yeah. you really being honest with how much you care? Like, yeah, no. Anyway. Um, and, uh, okay. You can join us at patreon.com slash theologians. We're doing a book club. We have a good time there. You're listening. Supporting keeps us rolling and you have a story for us and I'm ready. I do. It's your turn. I do. I have a story for you today. Okay. I have a lot of notes in the beginning. And then at the end, I just kind of opened it wide up because I was like, I feel like we are going to have That's me. a conversation about this. Notes on the front end. Now that I'm scrolling back through, I'm like, oh, a lot of notes. <laughs> okay. So my story is um, about a woman named Ruth Finley. I really hoped you were going to say Bader Ginsburg. I mean, <laughs> what a true crime story. What a criminal. <laughs> criminal. Maybe she'll make an appearance in our next <laughs> Feminism is Poison series. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, mm -hmm. um, so Ruth Finley, obviously she wasn't born Ruth Finley, but she was born to four poor four farmers. Poor farmers. That's how we're starting the story. Let's see what happens next. What's a farmer? Four farmers. <laughs> four of them. I don't know what they are, but there were four. There's four of them. Four spelled F-O-O-R. Anyway, Woo. poor farmers in Missouri. I feel like we had a little crossover. Wow. Like maybe we, I don't know. What's going know. on in Missouri? I don't know. Uh, yeah, seriously. Well, most of the story takes place in Kansas, so. Okay. They oh, dodged a bullet. That's where all the serial killers are from. Yeah. Kansas. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, or California. <laughs> a very two, two very different <laughs> places. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, her... So the story, our story uh, that I'm telling you today kind of starts in 1977 when she's 47 years old. Oh. But it's worth, I kind of need to like set up a okay. little bit. So um, her upbringing was very typical of a daughter raised by depression era parents. They were poor. Uh, they survived the depression. They, they reused tin oil. <laughs> yes. They worked hard. They abided little nonsense. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm sure they, the kids got spanked a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to bet that <laughs> happened. Um, and uh, so I would, okay. I would say the least she had, she had a very common upbringing for what her upbringing was. But the least typical thing about her um, up until this point was that she had very sadly been attacked in 1946 in her home oh. when she was 16 years old and she was branded. 
Why? Um, it was a random, completely random attack. I have to mention it because it absolutely has a lot to do with the story. But other than this weird event, apparently, she was very like normal, according to her. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, according to her. Well, I'm very normal. I mean, just based off of what has been reported, which okay. I would imagine they didn't interview her parents. So, <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, again, that is very traumatic, um, but very far behind her at this point. She was 16 when that happened. Our story is taking place when she's 47. 47. Okay. Um, so eventually she was married to a man named Ed Finley. Hence the last Ruth name. Finley. Got it. They moved to Wichita. He was an accountant and she worked for the local phone company. They had two children who are now grown. They lived in a little house in a cul-de-sac. All their neighbors knew him. They liked him. Okay. They were very normal, boring. You said he was an accountant. people. Okay. Yes. So. All right. In June of 1977, Ruth Finley was 47 years old, as we have established. Yes. Um, when her husband, Ed, collapsed while working in their yard. Originally, it was thought that he had a heart attack, but it was soon revealed to be the result of an injury from a car accident that he had about oh, a year prior. Oh. Um, but Ruth didn't know this at the time. So um, he had gone to the hospital. She had returned home after a traumatic day. And at some point in the evening, she received a phone call. Uh, she expected it to be the hospital. But when she picked up the call, uh, the caller confirmed her identity. Um and then he said, I know all about that night. Rude. I don't like it. Creepy. Um, he proceeded to read the short article that had been printed about her attack back in 1946 when she was 16 years old. And he threatened to tell the close community and her job of the attack unless she paid him not to. Why? Okay, hold on. What? Why would she want to pay him not to? Because she doesn't want people to know that happened to her? Yeah, it was just a very... I mean, obviously, I I even think it's very old school, small town for that to even be printed in a paper with her name. Oh, okay. Just because now... I mean, it's not like I would want everybody to know. Right. But, like, I'm just understanding... I'm, why would he, whoever this is... This is weird. Okay. Yeah. We don't know yet. Okay. Right. Nowadays, though, like, you, if any, if it's anyone involving a minor, their name's nowhere. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know. She just, she was probably just really embarrassed and had felt like she put it behind her and was like, um. Like, I don't want this brought up. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. she didn't really say, after he said that, she didn't really say much to anything much of anything to him um but she like said she slammed the phone down and then had a really bad headache and was just like this is too much it's this overwhelming is, my husband had a heart attack today as yeah. she thought at the time and then like i'm going to bed so um she went to bed and she ignored the call and tried to return to normal when her husband returned home so this worked for about a month or two until she received a letter on her desk at the phone company. Um, inside was a clipping of the short article that had been written on her attack. No. She threw the article away. Yeah. Well, evidence. Anyway. Um, okay. She continued to receive phone calls 
but would hang up as soon as she recognized the man's voice. Um, and then in August of 1977, so the original event was June. Now we're in August. A man approached her. He knew that she worked for the phone company. Um, quote, the man was in his late 40s, 5'9", and skinny with a plaid sport shirt, jeans, and white canvas shoes. His black hair was graying at the temples. He asked her if she would like to go to Las Vegas sometime. What? She ignored him and said, I'm meeting my, like, basically just said, like, I'm meeting my husband and walked to the curb. Um, and he said, I'll see you again. You can count on that. Some people's fantasies are other people's nightmares. Straight to jail. Ruth told her husband, but he dismissed the man as some kind of creep, like trying to pick someone up. Not like a great guy, but just like, you know. No, straight to jail. Um. <sighs> so then in June, like it, everything went fairly quiet. Keep in mind, the husband did not know about anything else that had happened. She did not tell him. He knows about the branding, obviously. Right. But he doesn't know about this guy. Any no, anything calls, that happened from the day he, he had the heart attack, the she just like, she just moved on and hoped that it was just someone, I don't know. Wow. Um. So in June of 1978, uh, basically a year from the start of all of this, Ruth saw the man again while she was out shopping. He yelled at her and grabbed her wrist. No. She freaked out, ran, and called her husband. Um, and then she then she told him about the phone calls and the letter for the first time. Okay. He immediately reported it all to the police. Yeah. Um, and also, I suspect that if he she had mentioned all that other stuff, he wouldn't have just been like, oh, that was some creep. creep trying to pick yeah, you yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no. So the police didn't do anything. Well, um, and she wasn't, you said she got rid of the letter yeah so they didn't really they didn't have anything like it yeah we the wrong person would hear well of course the cops didn't do anything but in a way there was not really much of anything they could do other than they probably took a report of it all right uh it's not like they were like know who he is no no go away we don't she doesn't know how to find him (laughs) right um so wow a few months later Ruth received another crude letter threatening her with harm unless they paid. In November of 1978, so we were just in June, now we're in November. Okay. Ed and Ruth went to the police station. The police finally listened because BTK was terrorizing Mm -hmm. Wichita during that time Mm -hmm. and he was doing so with letters. So anything that had to do with letters was being filtered to this special department. Right. So this time they met with a more seasoned detective um, who thought that the case sounded a little boring and not quite like what he was used to typically. Um, An empty nest... On a quiet cul-de-sac, no enemies, no one liked by their neighbors, normal, boring people, like, didn't really fit with the other cases that he was looking at. Um, So then uh, the following week, they received another letter wrought with the same, like, tall, kind of scribbly, tall black letters is what it was described as, um, and spelling errors. But this time, a poem. 
Wherever you go on water or land, you still got to pay or I tell about your brand. I am smart and know things to do. You talk to people I despise, like police, lieutenant, and telespies. Over time, the Finleys would get quite a few letters like this, and the police processed them all and sent them for fingerprinting. They became undeniably more and more unhinged, many spelling errors and like weird abbreviations, along with uncommon words like consentaneous. Um, so is just, that a word? It is. The other one is the other one is prolegomenous. Prolegomenous. Well, I actually know what that means because yeah. of the Greek. Anyway, but yeah. So um, okay. So yeah, and you could guess what both of those mean, but they're just not commonly used words. And then they were also made up words like sanchused and psychosthenia. Uh, many with poems and nearly all of them mentioning the brands she had received in her assault. You know, <clears throat> this couldn't happen anymore. Oh, no. Because Isn't that cameras so crazy? Right? And. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Terrible. Okay. So we were in November of 1978. Time's moving forward. Uh, that's That's a bit of an aside. Like, that's just kind of covering all the letters that she received, but I'll get into some more specifics. But so um, on November 21st, 1978, just a few weeks after they originally spoke with the detective, um, Ruth was downtown on her lunch break when a 1964 blue green Chevy Bel Air blocked the road. The same man jumped out, attacked her, forced her into the car and an accomplice drove away. The accomplice uh, drove the car with Ruth and the man in the back seat for hours while they both threatened and jeered at her and then kept bringing up like money and things like this. Um, eventually, she said she needed to use the restroom. So it's November. They took her shoes and her coat so that she wouldn't run away because it was cold. Um, she had managed to get a, a can of mace out of her purse and she was like keeping it close to her body so that when they let her out of the car, she maced the man and just like took off into the forest. She was hiding in a bush. Um, the two men looked and shouted for her, but eventually left after some time. Numb and terrified, Ruth ran to the closest business she could find and asked for help and asked to call her husband. Um, so the police, for the first time, thought maybe they were dealing with BTK after all, um, just because something had happened this time. It's just escalating and escalating yeah. and escalating. Um, and it, keep oh, in mind, like, at this oh. point, when you say BTK, you have a very clear image in your mind. But at the time, they did they not know. know who he was. Yeah. Um, so uh, the team did a thorough investigation of the area she was abducted from and found nothing other than Ru things that belonged to Ruth. The sweater, the shoes, footprints that belonged to her. Um, they established surveillance around Ruth and even um, returned to the town she lived in when she had been, been branded um, and investigated that assault. 
Great. Um, they tried to lure the poet, as Ed Finley had named him, um, in by highlighting the case on a call-in radio show, just because what they knew about BTK he was that the he attention. liked the attention. Yeah. So they thought, like, we'll do this Give thing him attention. and we'll see who calls in and see if we can, like, make any connections here. Um. Uh, and then Ed Finley sat in the bushes outside their home every night with his shotgun while Ruth slept. And oh. nothing came of it. Oh, can you imagine? Oh. In 1979, so we were in November 78, 1979, there was a lull in the letters and the Finleys thought maybe the poet had moved on. They hopefully planned a vacation to Colorado where they would go, I think, yearly is kind of what it made it sound like. If this is the story, I think it is. Oh, okay. Keep going. <laughs> oh, no. If this is the story, I think it, it is. It might be. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Um, oh, no. So Ruth carefully ran some errands on August 13th, 1979, in anticipation of their trip. Mm. She concluded her shopping trip and was walking to her car when she heard the mm. man call out, Hey, Ruth, I didn't know you were going to make it this easy. She saw the man and then she started running to her car, but he caught up to her. He slammed her against the car and demanded that she get in. According to Ruth, he tossed a shopping bag through the partially rolled down back window um, that had rope and tape. So like think kill kit, um, not good signs. Um, he told her to drive them to a specific location. She was terrified, but she managed a momentary escape. Um, and as she did, the man pulled out a large knife and stabbed her three times. Um, she felt on the last stab, she felt his grip loosen on the knife and she kind of fled to the passenger side door and scrambled in the car. As she was rolling up the window, he reached in after her and he like pulled his hand out because she was rolling it up and it like caught the tip of his glove. Excellent. Um and uh, she's like, well, I try to imagine in an old car, I'm like, she hopped over to the driver's side, but maybe it was a bench seat. Maybe all she had to do was just like slide over to the driver's side. Yeah, maybe. Um, So she climbed over to the driver's side and just took off. And she said she could see him like looking at her in the mirror. Um, and the knife was still stuck in her side. No. She deliriously drove oh, um, to a nearby hospital. payphone. Oh, payphone. Um, and uh, called the detective. Then she didn't know out. what to do, um, but she drove home. What? The detective had already called. He had told her to stay and that they would send help. And then he called Ed. So she, when she got home, Ed like already kind of knew what had happened and he was like, we have to take you to the hospital. <laughs> um, so yeah. he, she went back to the passenger seat. He got in the drivers and uh, drove her to the hospital. Um, she had been stabbed once in the back, once Ugh. in the side back. Oh, and she had a deep gash in her arm. Oh, um, the doctor said that the wound in her side was an inch away from being completely lethal. lethal. Wow. Uh, the story was blasted on the news with, along with a sketch of a man and Ruth recovered in the hospital for nine days. 
uh, one nurse reported that a man matching the description of the suspect had come to the hospital inquiring about her. No. So that was August. Now we're in September of 1979. Ed began corresponding with the poet who had now embraced the name and was going by it through the newspaper. Mm. Um, other than hinting at one point that they might be BTK, no helpful, no helpful information was ever given. And it seemed like more of a game, which kind of all of it did to Ed. Um, eventually, the newspaper admitted that the poet had been sending them letters for the past six months. What? So that was October of 1979. They admitted that they had also been receiving letters. I don't know if they just like didn't make a connection or what the deal was with that. So the detectives redoubled their efforts and they provided Ruth with security and surveillance, especially if she had to go out. Um, the lead detective and his wife became very close with the Finleys and they hung out even socially just because their lives were so interconnected at this point. Yeah. Eventually that detective was promoted and, um, the case was passed to captain Mike Hall in January of 1980. He briefly, he briefly worked to exclude the Finleys because he thought it was weird that, um, well, he thought the detectives are so close and the facts of the case were like, how is all this happening? So he wanted to exclude them because he felt like the other detective was too close to have like a Unbiased. clear look at it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he, uh, he found that um, when they had done, when they had investigated her stabbing, the doctor had said that the stab wound in her back could not have been self-inflicted. So... Yeah. He called that good. Yeah. Uh, later that month, Ruth received a butcher knife and a poem at work in the mail. Um, and then a few weeks later. How is this woman going to work and carrying on with her life? This is crazy. A few weeks later, a morbid Valentine's poem. No. A lot of these I'm not reading the poems because they're some of them are like very grisly and like perverted and it's not cool no um so to quote i just kind of quoted this part because it said it best there was an article i read that i got a lot of information from um the poet continued his barrage of wichita businesses sending out more than 50 letters in a six-month period one letter told a local mortuary to contact ruth about its services saying she would be requiring them soon (sighs) Letters to gas and electric company instructed them to turn off the Finley's utilities. Their phone lines were, had also been cut. Uh, the health no. department was told that Ruth was intentionally spreading VD. <gasps> um, a construction company was solicited to tear up the Finley's driveway and the DMV was asked to confiscate Ruth's license because of her hazardous and dangerous driving habits. Ruth's bank was ordered to transfer all of her money and a local florist received a $5 bill with a request that one black flower be sent to Ruth. The investigation continued to produce no results Mm. despite endless resources being thrown at it. The poet kept up his shenanigans, leaving. It seems like there'd be endless amounts of evidence. All this work. Right. Where? Okay. I don't know if it's just because of the times or what, but he literally left 
a bottle of urine, and an envelope of human feces on their porch. A pickaxe, a Molotov cocktail, and then he would put weird things in their mailbox like glass and trash and hair. Christmas Eve of 1980, their Christmas wreath was lit on fire as it hung on the front door. This is so incredible. It sounds like a bad movie. I know, right? The poems continued and death threats as well. The investigation still produced nothing. It's like if I was watching this as a movie, I'd have to suspend disbelief that someone could get away with all of this. That they're like... Whoever this guy is, such a mountain of evidence. Yes, a glove. I mean, on and on and on. Yeah. Okay. So, in September of 1981. Oh, I hope this is not the story I'm thinking of. A letter included a threat against one Chief Lemunyan's Lemunyan. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but (laughs) Lemunyan. What a name! I know. Um. Against one Chief Lemunyan's wife. The respected chief was already fed up with fielding questions about his incompetence as to why this person had not been caught. Um, but obviously now it his was very personal. Been, yeah. <laughs> so um, he took the entire case file home to pour over it. Everything he took Finally. to pour over Looking at the case in its entirety, it became clear to him who the poet was. Shut up. One, there were zero witnesses to any public interactions Ruth had with the poet. I have goosebumps. Two, despite living on a quiet cul-de-sac, the neighbors had never witnessed anything or anyone suspicious. Oh, no, I know what you're about to say. Three, on multiple occasions, the poet appeared to have information on the internal investigation and the surveillance of the house and Ruth herself. Four. No. The poet appeared to have a supernatural knowledge of the Finley's comings and goings. No. Lemunyan told a room full of officers a few days later that he would be conducting a two-week uninterrupted surveillance on his prime suspect, Ruth Ruth Finley. Finley. I knew he was going to do that. Within days, (sighs) Ed and Ruth drove to a nearby mailbox, put a few letters in, and drove away. One of the letters was from the poet. They quietly sat and built an airtight case against her. They like dug I'm through sorry. mail. I'm going po- to stop you right there. Please, re- <laughs> please repeat that last sentence. A few days later, you started. What happened? Uh, within a few days. Within a few days. Ed and Ruth drove to a nearby mailbox, put a few letters in, and drove away. One of the letters was from the poet. One of the letters that they put in the mailbox... Yes, was they did from they did in order to secure that that chain of evidence. They did. They waited and waited for them to do it again so that they could stop anyone else from putting anything else in the mailbox after that point so that they could basically prove that it hadn't been someone else who put it in before her. And just so you know, the day after that letter had been mailed because they let they stopped it investigated it and then they let it all go to its de- its destination then they went to those destinations picked everything up for evidence too so there were like bills and stuff in there too so they let everything go and then they went to where all those letters went 
grabbed them <laughs> except for the one except for the the one from the poet and the next morning Ruth was like there's another letter so they basically ended up spending their whole two week surveillance just connecting everything to her um they connected her to the letters they connected the letters to her home and her work they connected the stamps and the postage to multiple le- they basically had to create this whole web this airtight case that would just be like we know for sure that it's you like we do who stabbed her <laughs> who who abducted her who stabbed her we will we're going to have this conversation in a sec <laughs> Um, the last piece of the puzzle was whether or not Ed had been involved. The Lemonian was like, I don't think he was involved. But there's a few things where I'm like, I don't know. It really just depends. Like when their wreath was on fire, she said that they were sitting watching TV together. So like unless she just lied and he never heard that version of events, then there would never be, I don't know. Um, it happens. I mean, BTK's wife did not know what was going on. Um, even maybe if she had some suspicion that something was going on, she probably would not have instantly thought it's my husband. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So he did, um, he was excluded they interviewed him extensively and gave him a polygraph test, which apparently he passed. Well, with... if he was involved, he's insane. So Right. Yes. I mean, yes. So um, here's the interesting thing. When Ruth. Uh, when Ruth was confronted, she claimed to have zero knowledge. Mm-hmm. And when she was confronted with evidence. Mm hmm she was still Mm -hmm. in disbelief. Yeah. But had these like disembodied memories. What? Of it happening, of things happening. The article said it well, so I'm just going to kind of use their words here. As questioning continued, Ruth admitted she had written the poet's letters. Mm. She placed the butcher knife in her office's lobby phone booth again phone booths she left the ice pick and urine and feces on her porch she'd siphoned gas for molotov cocktails from her car she said that on the day of her supposed abduction she'd taken a bus to twin to twin lakes then walked to the river to leave her sweater and shoes for the police to discover but even as she was recounting these details ruth wasn't sure they were real she was just telling the the detective the most logical possibilities she had no memory of the acts as she was describing but hill was angry the detective was angry and ruth was terrified of anger she wanted to please him the only thing she knew for sure was that she had done horrible things because hill was telling her so the detective she claimed that she wanted to die and was sent for psychiatric evaluation and um, very quickly her actions were deemed non-malicious 
and the county determined to not press charges. The case cost the county $370,000, which is $1.3 million now. She went to extensive psychotherapy for seven years and then another three years, or three years and then another seven years, something like that. And it was uncovered that she had been routinely abused by a neighbor who wore a, who like used a, the red handkerchief, there's a red handkerchief that kind of ties into the whole story. Like it starts to be a reoccurring theme. Like when they find, they find like little strips of a red bandana, like in her, in a letter or whatever. So this is a thing. And apparently that was used in this. Her abuse. Her abuse. Um, And she had, Covered up that abuse for 40 years and then um, the trauma of her husband's collapse plus um, the terror of BTK created a fractured alternate personality that enacted. That's the psychotherapist's explanation. Yes. And now Ruth's. Hmm. She went on Oprah talking about this. She's talked about it a lot. She got to go on TV for doing this? She did. Hmm. She also got to have the undivided attention of hmm. the Wichita police for years. Mm-hmm. Um, Sympathy. And... Uh, Huh. Wow. I wasn't there. No. <laughs> and I didn't do the interviews and I didn't uh I didn't hear her voice when she was in disbelief. Um but I know that there are detectives that were there, mm-hmm. including the one that uh interrogated her initially that said she is lying. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. But I feel, hmm. for lack of a better word, I feel, you know, like my BS meter going off a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. How, the it's, the it's, stabbing, too, just really is. Well, and so the big thing for me is the and I can send you the article so that we can link it if people want to read it. The intense detail with which she provide I tried to sprinkle it in a little bit because uh-huh. I felt like the person who wrote the article tried to sprinkle it in a little bit, almost like they were teasing like how did she like how did she remember that a 1964 blue green Chevrolet Bel Air blocked the road right before she was kidnapped. How did she remember that? And um, just like, not that you, not that you don't remember things, Mm -hmm. but she is, when you read the, when you read the article, which is all used, the article is all, um, it's basically written in kind of a very like story like format Mm -hmm. uh, using, um, all of her testimony, all of the papers and the tapes and the mm-hmm. everything. And the immense detail 
with which she remembers things mm-hmm. um, does not seem to me like someone who is experiencing some sort of fractured mm-hmm. reality where she's playing mm-hmm. two people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, hmm. and um, yeah, it was almost unbelievable the amount of stuff she was claiming i also don't like unless the husband is in on it i can't imagine that your wife would be alternating between two personalities without you noticing without you having some inkling like honey why are you putting a bottle of pee on our front porch yeah like that's a great question um but basically after she met with this this psychotherapist she uncovered a abuse that hadn't she mm. had not remembered previously which mm. i'm not saying that people who experience abuse don't uh mm-hmm. sometimes bury things or sure but um it was after uh many many meetings with this psychotherapist that i don't know i don't know what kind of methods he's using to bring these memories back um right and uh, and sh- basically, she just seemed like the nicest, most normal person. Um, and was somehow doing all of this, was lighting her house on fire and stabbing herself. Um, and there isn't there. There are. The, the interview with Oprah is very interesting. Yeah, have you watched it? I recommend watching it. Okay. Um, just to contextualize yeah. the story. Again, I also do recommend the... Uh, I recommend the um, the article that we'll have... That we'll provide. Um, Corey Mead. It, it really just... Is it by Corey Mead? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> La Munion, I... Yep. Lemonian. Got it. Yeah. And there are also little things like, um, you know, the kill kit that he like tossed into the back of the car. Yeah. That was never found. Never found. And like the glove. That yeah. got caught I was about to say, window. what about the glove? Never found. That was found. not ever. And so it does, I, her orchestra, like the orchestrating that had to go into this does not, it does not indicate like the chaos of her going back and forth in an unintended way. I would almost think that her going back and forth between these two personalities would be so obvious because of how normal she was. Yes. And, um, and so I think like, I think, you know, they kind of use that to explain like, well, you know, like she was normal and she was just trying to cover it up, this up and bury it deep mm-hmm. down. And then mm-hmm. she created this alternate personality, which they do say that they're not they're not making the claim that she has like something like DID or anything like that. Right. But um, but she basically created like a version of herself that would. No, but I don't No, I reject the, the way that everything is orchestrated nope. does not indicate to me. It's all very premeditated. It's all very planned out. Yeah. I don't think. No, 
that she I don't believe it. If she was having a a legitimate hallucination where she thought she was in the back of a car when she was actually on a bus going to Twin Cities, I think that um no. She would have not that she if she was having hallucinations to that degree, she would not have also been able to simultaneously appear normal. So normal until the very moment she was confronted with evidence. Right. And I'm just kind of briefly looking at that article that you were talking about. And it's like the question and answers when she is being confronted, her responses are the absolute typical responses you yes. get from somebody who yes. is being confronted yes. and is absolutely not going to tell you the truth. Well, and I absolutely believe <laughs> that she had plenty of time to anticipate what she would do and how she would manipulate this. She spent the last years, years manipulating these people, specifically the police. Yes. And I, I absolutely believe that she knew if I were to ever be caught, this is, this how, is how I gonna... would react. Oh, absolutely. She had years to think about that. Yeah. And so basically like you just saw the back and forth, like it's, basically she claims to have no memory and the officer automatically offers her help. And, you know, I think that the detective, when he originally ruled them out, I think he was onto something that everyone in the community was a little too close close to the situation. Um, And they were a little too charmed. Yeah. Um, And I don't think that someone who can have a hallucination that they're in the back of a car fighting for their life when they're actually on a bus going to twin cities. Doesn't show any other signs. Right. That would indicate that there is some ability to maneuver between the two realities, which means you're not actively psychotic. Um, and mm-hmm. so. No, I'm just dying because this is if you've ever like dealt with a little kid who doesn't want any liar, any really, liar, any liar. that I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't remember mm-hmm. is a great and it happened three minutes ago. I don't yeah. remember is an absolute sign i mean here's your sign and it's like so the other day when you were in the car with your husband and you stopped by that mailbox Uh like that was you putting your oh the poet was also paying your bills right how nice of him to also include right your bills in the stack of mail that he would send like they got had is the word had is the word to the tune of 1.3 million because at first I saw that, I was like, 370000 I was like, oh, I was expecting more. And then I was like, Joy, this is the early 80s. Of course it's more. <laughs> right. And I mean, it's also like a lot of times when you're dealing with somebody who's lying, once they realize, I don't know, I don't remember, isn't working. Right. They'll, ad- they'll own 75%. Right. Okay. I, okay. 75% of this was me, but. Oh, now I can but, remember what the poet was making me do. But, you know, also maybe not, or maybe my memory, or maybe this other thing is happening where that 75% that I am owning, like, here's how I'm not completely responsible. Right. I never thought to mention that I'm losing time. <sighs> I'm actually losing time. Right. I'm having right. gaps in my memory right. where I don't know what I did or where I went. Yes. Like, I know that there's a man after me, but I just didn't seem important to tell you that. Yes. Yeah. Um, And I think that. Yeah. And then the fact that once she was questioned and realized she was had, she was like, well, now I just want to die. Yeah. It's like, well, that's Mm -hmm. a guilty conscience. 
and it's very histrionic speaking yeah it's very dramatic it's <laughs> very it's very much the type of person that would put on a whole show show of her being stalked and she and got to go on oprah for it she got pretty famous she got so she, much attention her story was bigger than btk while he was actively killing people wow all right do I deny that something happened to her when she was little to make her into this kind of person? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, but it really makes you think. Um, and casts quite a shadow of doubt on the other stories that she told. Oh. Um, and I don't know. Uh, people don't just become that way overnight. And so... The I author think, of this article doesn't believe her. No. The way no, that no. they write it, no. it seems Mm-mm. it seems like they believe her. They but don't. But they don't. They absolutely And that's do what not. I mean by the way that they include the details. Like at, like someone who is actively moving no. between two different identities is not going to be it they're just like you're saying that as he came and attacked you and was like, get in the car, take me to this spot. You saw him throw something. You registered him throwing something into your backseat because your windows were open when you were being stalked. Your yeah. windows, you left your windows open yeah, when you were being stalked. Yeah, the thing was just so <laughs> unbelievable. I'm glad that that guy finally took all the evidence home and was like, I need to yeah. figure this out. Well, and it, was like, it took way too long for someone to do that, honestly. Yeah, it, like there was there were letters that were being written to certain detectives right after they had changed command to the case and nobody knew that that had happened except for the investigation to know this. And then all of a sudden, like they put up, they would put up a surveillance camera and then all of a sudden it stopped happening on the back porch and it moved to the front porch. And it's just like, once he looked at everything all together, he was like, you guys, There's, it's so it's obvious. All pointing at <laughs> one person. Yep. And like they would, the letters would stop when they went on their trip to Colorado every year. And then they would start again when they came back. Oh, it's it just, painful. Yeah. It's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Yeah. For the police department. Right. For her, obviously, too. But yeah, but I, she's I, obviously such insane. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's crazy. Yes, obviously. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this kind of goes back to what you your hot take at the beginning, which was that like if women do it, it like because women don't be- people don't believe that women can be guilty. This is the kind of stuff that women can get away they with. They were ri- I'm talking after a, in the article it says she was on a 24-hour hold for being for expressing suicidal ideation obviously. And after the 24-hour hold like later that week, they were like, it doesn't seem malicious. Let's just not put press charges. And we're not talking about a little town here. We're talking about Wichita. That's a it's a big place. That's a major town. Like, oh. she just got away with it. She totally got away with it. Wow. And then she died. She died in 2019. But she was free. Was she still married to Ed? She was free. Yeah. Wow. He stood by her through all her years of psychotherapy where she realized all these things about herself and and it's like even that like even just that's all based off of the speculation of a doctor like there's no test for fractured 
personalities. Like, <laughs> so it all just depends on what kind of science and what kind of method this this psychiatrist or he was probably a psychologist, maybe I don't know, like employed. So because there's a whole bunch of different types of psychology. So it really just depends on and if he was doing, they had already used hypnotism early on in the investigation because they were getting desperate. So they hypnotized her. And like, if he was doing any kind of recalled memory stuff, that is like hack.com. Yeah. And so I don't know. I just think that, uh, I think she paid that psychologist Mm. to do his job. And I think he did it. Wow. I think she knew that whatever he (sighs) said, she was paying him for a reason <laughs> to go see him. And I think that reason was um, wicked. a get out of jail free card. Wicked. Yeah. I need the palate cleanser of the funny thing that Georgia said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was my other thing. I think I'm just so mad about her at the moment. I need to hear. I'm so glad. Watch the Oprah interview. <sighs> Watch the over I don't interview. think I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready. If any little part of you <sighs> thinks, oh, you know, maybe she really just did, like, was having a really hard time. I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying people don't have a really Listen, hard time. Listen, she was having a hard time <laughs> of her own doing. People really do. People experience some stuff. I believe in, you know, we can have a conversation about what causes th- things like psychosis and like psychotic breaks and stuff like that. But... Th- what she did does not describe that. She, what she did does not describe schizophrenia, nothing like that. Um, and I'm also just going to go ahead and say one of the one of the psychologists that um, was a part of the investigation that read all the poems and stuff was like, basically was like, this guy is crazy and also highly intelligent. And I think that Ruth, if I'm sure that. Um, she was down for a compliment. I don't know. It's just <laughs> something I feel like I would know about her. <laughs> Clearly. She uh, was an intelligent lady. Let me tell you that right now. She was normal looking, she but was she was bored. far from normal. She was bored. Um, uh, okay. Anyway, for those of you that think women don't have any power, this was in the 1980s. <sighs> tell me what Georgia said. Okay. <laughs> so mad at her right now she said okay. not georgia so there's this uh <laughs> i guess we're just starting a little thing where i just tell you the cute thing that that yeah. georgia's doing or that georgia says right now yeah and then at some point i'll listen back to these episodes and I'll be like oh i'll hear them at some point and be so like cute. what um so the other day i was making the bed <laughs> and georgia came in the room and she said are you done decorating the bed <laughs> She thinks you get up every day and decorate the bed. Are you done decorating the bed? This is really cute. And I was like, that's it. That's yeah, the way I'm going to think I of do. it. I'm decorating no, I, the bed. No, that's, yeah. I mean, I can't tell everybody what I told you. Janie said last night. <laughs> but they do. They find ways yeah. to describe things that are so spot on. Right. But you would it's never so say smart, that. You don't but call it decorating not, the bed. Right. She doesn't know you don't call it that. Right. But that's not the wrong word. Right. Because I know if you're a woman, you've got your decorative pillows and you do it a certain way. You have a few, you have your fitted, your top, your, 
duvet and then like yeah. a nice little like blanket at the end yeah oh it's decorating for sure I, it, no it, it it's definitely decorating <laughs> that's so funny that's so funny that's actually something um i like did not believe in decorating the bed for a long time and then i got married and eric was like you don't make the bed every day and i was like do you care and he was like yeah and I was like, cool, I'll make the bed. Like, I don't care. I, I don't care. Like, mm. I legitimately didn't care yeah. was the point. Like, if I got to it, I got to it. And if I right. didn't, I didn't. Like, I was busy. I had, like, a bunch of little kids. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, if he cares, I'm just going to all make the bed. Whatever. Yeah. And now I'm like, if my bed isn't made, I can't move on with my day. I think it's a, especially if you're cleaning up, like. <sighs> don't let Jordan Peterson hear what I just said. It's pivotal. Make your bed. <laughs> 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 it's pivotal yeah i get um, it now i get I don't, it now i don't do it every day but i get it now. it really when your bed is clean it really offers you yeah. a very large surface area to put other things yeah and also it gives your it gives everything kind of a chance to air out yeah clean bed clean kitchen you can your day is fine oh yeah it's kind of like you know when you feel really gross and you brush your teeth and yeah. you're like wow i feel so much better yes i'm a new person making your bed is like brushing yes, your teeth it is so brush your bed, everybody, and <laughs> you can leave us a voicemail at 470-465-0475. Oh, I'm so mad at her. I've never hated the name Ruth Moore. Maybe don't watch the Oprah interview then. I but I'm just telling you, if any part of you thinks not she ready. might still I'm not ready. just be like no. having a bad day. No, she wasn't. <laughs> She wasn't. Enjoy the br- the new Brian Sauce Pan album. Have a good week. <laughs> how many are my foes? How many against me right? They all are saying now of me in vain. Is God